Are you in a dry season when it comes to your walk with Christ? If you're not in one right now, you've almost certainly experienced one in the past or will experience one in the future. What does it look like to pursue faithfulness in such seasons? When life feels hard, when your time is limited, and when your passion for Christ seems to have faded. In our interview today, I'm talking with Glenna Marshall about the surprising power of ordinary perseverance in the Christian life. She shares why just giving ourselves grace isn't the answer, how scripture memory is changing her life, and why being transparent with other Christians when we're struggling is so incredibly freeing. In addition to being a pastor's wife and a mother, Glenna is also the author of Everyday Faithfulness, The Beauty of Ordinary Perseverance in a Demanding World from Crossway. Let's get started. Well, Glenna, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today on the Crossway podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor. So today we're going to discuss the topic of faithfulness, uh, faithfulness in our lives as Christians, uh, and especially in difficult or maybe dry seasons of life that we've all faced at times. Uh, but I, I think that word faithfulness can sometimes suggest different things to different people. It's kind of a loaded word that we maybe hear a lot of, but it, it maybe is sometimes it kind of goes undefined. So if you were to define faithfulness as simply as possible, how would you define it? Well, you could break it down pretty simply as just being full of faith. Um, but when we're talking <laughs> about uh, the Christian life, we can sort of use the word interchangeably with steadfast or um, persevering, sort of. Uh, we're talking about basically following Jesus, being wholly devoted to Christ for all of life. And we see that scriptural call to faithfulness pretty much with all of the New Testament writers. They talk a lot about uh, persevering to the end and maintaining steadfast faith. And I mean, Paul, Peter, John, Jesus, they all talk about it over and over again. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I would just break it down simply. It's being wholly devoted to Christ from, you know, day one of following him till you see him face to face. Yeah. It seems like even embedded in that definition, though, and even those words persevering or steadfast, there's sort of an underlying assumption there that that it won't be easy to be to to remain committed to Jesus, wholly committed to Christ, is, is that part of it that we should sort of should be baked into our understanding of faithfulness? Absolutely. I think that when I came to Christ as a child, just growing up in the church, I thought, well, I'll follow Jesus and everything will go well for me. Somehow mm. missing the fact that following Christ is taking up your cross. It's taking up your implementation of execution, <laughs> and yeah. and following a Savior who suffered. And following Christ faithfully puts us at odds with our culture, with the world that we live in, and it, following a Savior who suffered will mean that we suffer as well. And so I think we should expect it to be difficult, and it does require perseverance, but I think we also can't let that overshadow the joy of following Christ mm. and the eternal benefits of following Christ faithfully. Yeah. Why do you think it is that even though Scripture does in many places seem to pretty clearly and explicitly say that it's gonna, there's going to be a cost, that we are picking up our cross in a very you know, real sense when we follow Jesus, nevertheless, it can be maybe surprising. Have you ever felt that way? Are you surprised when you felt difficulty in the Christian life? Yeah, I think 
in some regard, we're afraid to sort of sell Christianity that way to others. Like maybe we mm. feel we need to make it more palatable. You know, that if you follow Jesus, everything is going to be wonderful. He'll give you joy and peace. And those things are true, but it doesn't cancel out the fact that we will suffer. And I also think that we sort of misunderstand blessing and suffering. Sometimes they're really two sides of the same coin. And mm. I think a real careful study of scripture will show us that not only does Peter tell us, don't be surprised by suffering as if something strange is happening to you. Um, basically suffering is something that God uses to refine our faith, to grow perseverance and faithfulness in us. But uh, James also says that, you know, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. He's addressing suffering uh, Christians in James five. And I think that, we equate blessing with just ease and comfort, but scripture oftentimes couples blessing with suffering. There is true blessing in holding fast to Christ in the midst of trials. Mm. Yeah, it, it is. As you, as I reflect on my own experiences at, at church or in a small group and even things I've, I've said, we can so often uh, link that idea of blessing. We, we praise God for his blessing when things are going well, when, when we get that promotion or we get that new house or a new car or we have a healthy baby, we, we speak of God blessing us. And that's, those are the only times when we see God blessing us. Is that something that, that you've seen? And it, should we be maybe more intentional about uh, praising God for his blessing in other times of life? I really think so. I have a grandmother who's 94 that if you say, um, well, I, you know, I was able to pay that bill or we narrowly escaped a car accident, isn't God good? She'll say, he would have been good if you couldn't pay the bill. He mm. would still be good if you had ended up in a car accident. She's quick to correct you. But I, she is right. Like the Lord is good and kind to us, even when our circumstances don't always immediately reflect that in the way that we're looking at them. Um, but I think that there is blessing in walking through some trials. I mean, I can think of the suffering that the Lord has called my husband and me to walk through you know, years and years of infertility being one of mm. those things. Um, that's a hard path to walk. However, I can see that it's one of the things God has used to draw me into deep study of his scripture. Just because in suffering, I wasn't sure who he was. Was he being good? Was he being faithful to me? Is this what faithful following Jesus looks like? Is it mm, walking yeah. through hard things? Am I doing something wrong? But what I see in scripture once he drew me to see who he was and who he proclaimed himself to be, I could view my circumstances through the lens of God's goodness. And there is blessing in walking through trial and seeing that Christ is with you. He is your sure and steady anchor. I mean, there are some things I wouldn't trade for having learned mm. that lesson in suffering. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It kind of back onto that topic of perseverance and steadfastness and that being kind of the main lens through which you view faithfulness. It seems like sometimes we can we can think of faithfulness uh, through a different lens, the lens of maybe doing big things for God, whatever that, however that might be defined, kind of big acts of faith or maybe big decisions of, you know, sacrifices that we might make throughout our lives. And yet it, it does seem like most of life is actually made up of very small things, very mundane things, small decisions. So I wonder, as you look back over the past year of life, a very kind of crazy, difficult year that we've all had, uh, and as you said before, you're, you're a pastor's wife, you're a mom of two young boys, what has simple faithfulness looked like for you? 
Yeah, I think that we like to call those big grand demonstrations of faithfulness, like that's real faithfulness. But I think real faithfulness is the kind that no one sees, but maybe the Lord or the people in your house. Mm. Um, I think it is getting up every day and turning your your heart to scripture and confessing your sins to the Lord, um, spending time talking to him in prayer, saturating your, your day with the word. And when possible, we're coming out of a weird year, but when possible, being as plugged into the body of Christ as possible. Um, those are not glamorous things. You know, I, no one's going to clap for you for reading your Bible. You're not going <laughs> to get applause when you, you know, spend some time praying. But those simple acts of faithfulness are the things that God has given us to be faithful. Those are the Mm. means that he has provided. Uh, In Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus dying on the cross, not just to reconcile us to the Father, but to give us access to him, to give us the word so that we hold fast our confession of hope, to give us the body of Christ so that we don't fall away because there is a warning embedded in that, um, that Jesus has given us everything we need to maintain faithfulness. And those things are very ordinary, very yeah. um, just small decisions. I'm going to read my Bible today and know Christ today. And then tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to do the exact same thing. And it feels kind of slow and ordinary, kind of plodding through the Christian life day by day. But I mean, the culmination of days and weeks and months and years, I mean, builds faithfulness into your life because those are the means that God has ordained for us to grow in godliness, to hold fast to him. I mean, he's given us what we need. Our responsibility in that is to follow through in obedience in these very small, ordinary things. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you nailed it in that sometimes those small things can feel mundane and plotting, but have you, have you ever had the sense though, kind of on the flip side that they are so simple and they're so ordinary and they're so, in a certain sense, doable. And that's what we're called to do. We're not called to look for the next big thing that we can do, accomplish for God, that that oftentimes it's, it's just, you know, being uh, committed to those smaller things. Does that ever encourage you, the kind of the smallness of it? Yeah, I mean, I live in a, you know, a small town with ordinary people and the calling for every Christian is the same. I mean, nobody in my church is going to go and you know speak at big events or you know become famous or have a famous following. We're just ordinary people living in community and following Jesus, uh, loving Him more today than we did yesterday. But that that same calling applies to everyone who follows Christ. It is, you know, follow Him until the end. You know, um, persevere until you see Him. Hold fast to your confession of hope. Uh, maintain faithfulness. Just these calls in the New Testament over and over. It's the same thing for me that it is for you. And I'm very encouraged that uh, there's no hierarchy there. Like we all are given the same tools. We all have the same spirit. And we're really walking a path that all the saints who have gone before us have walked. And mm. it is encouraging to me to know that when I'm like struggling through my Bible reading, I just got through reading the book of Joshua with uh, my Bible study group. And we're like working through land allotments and tribal <laughs> boundaries. And I'm like, this is hard, you know, like what, what am I supposed to be learning here? But the fact that I'm 
you know, sitting with a group of Christians and we're all struggling through the text and the Lord is helping us to understand and we're not the first Christians to do this. Mm. There's just something so unifying. I mean, it's Christ that unifies us and it's the word that is our foundation. And yeah, it's really encouraging. It's simple and mundane. Sometimes it's a little bit hard, but it's good and it's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, as I was preparing for this interview, I, I noticed something interesting that you posted on your Instagram page. Uh, it, was, it was from a, a few weeks ago, you, and you noted how easy it can be to become over-familiar and maybe even a little bit bored with certain Bible stories or passages, uh, something that I'm sure all of us have experienced before. Um, and, and then you said that one of the best ways, though, to push back against that tendency that we have is through Bible memorization. And you, you posted this picture uh, of some notepaper where you had written what looked like completely random <laughs> letters. I was trying. It was looks like to, gibberish. <laughs> yeah, at, at first it was like, oh, she's probably writing out the text of scripture to help her memorize it. And then as I look closer, that was not what you were doing. So I, I want to ask, what was that? And then I'd love to get into more of how Bible memorization is helpful. Yeah, so it does look like complete gibberish. It's it's the first letter method of memorization. So if you're memorizing a passage of scripture, if you're going to work on memory every day, it it's, takes too much time really to write out a whole text, especially if you're doing a chapter or a book, like mm. a longer portion. Um, your brain goes a little faster than your hand when you're writing. And so if you write just the first letter of each word, that you can kind of recite it out loud or in your head and just write the first letter of each word. And I just do that over and over again to work through memorization. It's a really helpful tool because your brain fills in the blanks there. Hmm. Um, and so there is an app you can use for that as well, but I do better with pen and paper, but it does look like another language. <laughs> so where did you first learn that kind of method of trying to memorize scripture? Um, um, you know, I'm not really sure. Uh, there's, I, I have seen, especially on social media platform like Instagram, a resurgence in scripture memorization among women specifically. Huh. And that first letter method is one I have seen crop up here and there that a lot of people are using. I've seen people writing it on their arm or their hand. There's even a company <laughs> that puts out a, a tattoo, like a temporary tattoo that's oh, got wow. that first letter method for scripture memorization. So it's really encouraging. There's a lot of tools out there. Um, to encourage that. But uh, yeah, it's been super helpful for me. And is that the primary way that you kind of the primary method that you use to try to memorize scripture? Weirdly, no. My primary method is to print out the text, put it in a Ziploc bag and tape it to my shower wall. A Ziploc so, bag? Yes. So you oh. slide it in the Ziploc bag, tape it to your shower wall. And then if you attach scripture memorization to a task that you do every day, um, then it becomes natural that if you step in the shower, mm. you immediately go to scripture memorization. I also have one taped over my kitchen sink where I wash dishes, but um, that, it's funny to say, the shower is where I do most of my scripture <laughs> memorization. <laughs> so how much of, of pursuing faithfulness, whether it is scripture memory or Bible reading or prayer or other just, again, mundane spiritual disciplines and just habits, how much of that is kind of thinking a little bit strategically like that, like thinking, hey, where am I going to spend the most of my time or consistent time every day? It's in the shower. It's getting ready in the morning and kind of preparing your yourself to encounter scripture or those things at those times. Uh, how much of it is that versus just hard work and perseverance? Well, it's really both. I think if you are committed to just making a few decisions at the beginning, like if you don't have a plan for Bible reading, make a plan, pick a place, pick a time, pick a Bible reading plan, make all those decisions 
and then all you have to do is apply them the next day. You know, you're just going to reapply the same decisions over and over again. If you're going to memorize some scripture, you know, pick a passage, pick a book, pick a chapter, pick a couple of ways that will help you do that. And then it's just, it's really is just follow through. And I think follow through is, is where we struggle. I mean, there is some discipline required, but I really think if you build your life around individual spiritual disciplines and the corporate spiritual disciplines of being involved in your local church, rather than just fitting those things in where you can, if you build your life around it, you are more apt to be faithful. And that yeah. sounds a little bit like, you know, formulaic or, but there is room for discipline when it comes to spiritual disciplines. That's why we call them that or habits of grace. Anything that you're going to do regularly, you need to build your life around it. I mean, you can think about like a marathon runner. If they are going to run the marathon and finish and survive in one piece, they make a thousand daily decisions, the same decisions over and over. They lay their clothes out at night. So in the morning, all they have to do is put on their running gear and then go run, you know? So yeah, yeah. Um, there is some preparatory work to do, but if you will take the decision making out of it, just make all your decisions and then just follow through. You don't have to redecide every day, just apply. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So you wrote in that same Instagram post that you won't stop harping on Bible memorization because <laughs> it's, quote, changing my life. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder if you can kind of dig into that. In what ways is Bible memory changing your life? And, and maybe speak to the person who has grown up in the church, who has heard all their life that it's important to memorize the Bible and, and yet still really struggles with that, just feels a lack of motivation or feels like they're just not cut out for it. Uh, what would you say to that person? Yeah, I mean, I was that person. I grew up in the church and I did Bible drill as a child, but no scripture memorization practiced since I was a little kid. And I mean, I'm 40, you know, so, um, and it's really just been in the last about 18 months that this has become a new practice for me, like a regular mm. practice. And it really was born of a desire to put an area of sin to death in my life that I felt like I just had no victory over. Um, I was struggling with a lot of anger and just short tempered behavior and speech and um, the Holy Spirit just convicting me over and over. And I felt like I don't know how to put this area of sin to death besides pray for it. And, you know, we can't just say to ourselves, just don't sin. There has to be something else. It's more than just emptying your life of sin, you have to fill your life with something else. And um, I was flipping through the Psalms, and I think it was in Psalm 119, where the psalmist talks about hiding God's word in your heart so that you won't sin against him. And I thought, there's the key. Not sinning against him is going to require that I hide more scripture in my heart. And so I began with a couple of Psalms, and then I moved to the book of James, and I spent all of 2020 memorizing James. Wow. And uh, then this year I'm working on Colossians. I'm moving a little bit more slowly through Colossians because Paul's got some really long sentences. <laughs> um, and I'm just about done with Colossians 1. But what I have noticed is that filling my mind with long passages of Scripture, which does seem overwhelming at first, but just take a sentence a day or a sentence a week and just little, mm -hmm. little bites um, each day really does make a difference. But I've noticed that there's Bible reading and Bible study, which I love and really enjoy, but Bible memorization is sort of like flooding your mind with scripture. So you're sort of uh, 
saturating your mind with the same words over and over. And I think in scripture, the word for meditating on scripture is like mumbling it out loud, which is really what you're doing when you're memorizing. Mm. You're saying it to yourself over and over again. And I have found that that process changes the way I think. It changes the way I react. I mean, it really is the Lord renewing my mind with his word. It's I've told friends, it's like he's rewiring my brain. I don't know if there's a scientific (laughs) explanation for that, but I think the work of the Holy Spirit, when you're just saturating your mind with the words of the Lord, it does reshape your thoughts and your reactions. And the Lord's using it to sand down this area of sin in my life that I've been really trying to have some victory over. The other thing is it comes out in my conversations all the time. It comes out in my prayer life. I just find that these, you know, sentences from James and Paul just overflow and spill out. And, you know, if I'm thinking about a decision I've got to make, then I immediately go to James one about asking for wisdom. And Mm. it's like having a, a treasure in your, in your brain that you can access at any point. And, you know, you can start small. I always encourage people start with Psalm one. It's six verses and it talks about the blessing of being rooted in scripture. So it's very motivating. Um, but it has diluted my desire for worldly things as well. And I, I, I don't know how exactly the Lord does this in his kindness and his grace, but it really is transformative. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been surprised at how, how you've been able to remember these long chunks of scripture. I'm sure there are a lot of listeners right now who think the thought of memorizing a whole book of the Bible, even a relatively short book like James, just seems like completely overwhelming. Uh, yeah. I When I set the goal, I thought, I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to do this. <laughs> um, and I will tell you, I have an autoimmune disease. And earlier this year, I had a really bad flare-up. Actually, about December through April was particularly bad. And one of oh. the the effects of this disease is I have something called brain fog. It makes things like memorization or, I mean, as a writer, it makes writing very, very hard, uh, just keeping my thoughts in line. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be moving through Colossians a lot more slowly than I went through James, but that's okay. I've noticed even as slowing down and working on one sentence a week, and I really do mean one sentence a week, I am chewing on these phrases over and over and over again. And I almost feel like the pause in working in one, on one sentence for a long time, there's still so much to be gleaned mm. and the Lord is still using it. So I would say to someone who feels like I struggle with memorization, I don't think I have a good memory, there's not a race. Like You could go at a very slow pace, but if you work on it a little bit each day, I think you'll be surprised by how much you can retain. Mm. because. Yes, we're using the brain that the Lord has given us, which is capable of doing pretty amazing things, but we also have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we're not memorizing the newspaper or a novel. We're memorizing the living and active Word of God. It's our not, it's no empty word, but our very life. And so I think the combination of all of those things, um, the Lord can do something really wonderful with memorization. But we do have to kind of take that step and try. Yeah, and try. Well, and it seems like, too, remembering that for Bible memory in particular, um, it's probably less the destination than it is the journey that really has the effect on us. So there's not, there's not like a, like you said, there's not a race to, to get the whole thing done at a certain time. No, I think it's just that act of doing it every day. It absolutely is the process of memorization. It's not really for the purpose of me standing up and reciting it to someone. It's, yeah. it's the process of saturating my mind with it. That's where the treasure is. 
Hmm. So sometimes uh, spiritual dryness is is due to feeling overwhelmed in life. We can just, for all kinds of reasons, feel like life is out of control and it can make it hard to perhaps even find time for, or feel like we have time for spiritual disciplines that would be helpful uh, for us in that dryness. Uh, and in a recent article you published on your website, you write, when my first son was born, I didn't pick up my Bible for months. I was so sure that I'd arrive at the magical land of discipline later when my baby wasn't so needy. I didn't realize that keeping the habits of Bible reading and prayer when it was difficult to do so would have laid the path to Bible reading and prayer later when it wasn't so hard. Uh, and I imagine a lot of people resonate with that sentiment of, yeah, right now I just can't, maybe later. So unpack what it is that you've realized since then and, and why that that wasn't the right way to think about it. Yeah, that baby in that article is now about to turn 13, so it's mm. had some years to reflect on it. I, um, I thought that I would sort of grow into faithfulness at some point later in my life when I wasn't so busy, when I didn't have little kids, when I didn't have, you know, the type of job that I had at the time, um, that some, there was some idea in my mind when I hit a certain age, I would be mature in the faith. I would be much more faithful than I was then. Um, I don't know what I expected just to magically wake up faithful 10, 20 years down the road. And I realized if I'm not investing in my faithfulness now, I'm really unlikely just to wake up 20 years from now that way. There's you know, lots of days, weeks, months, years of investment in our faithfulness using those means of grace God has given us that you know, the culmination of that is where you end up walking faithfully with Jesus. Um, but I also do remember having babies and having you know, a busy job and feeling like I didn't have time. And I think this is where Christians have to stop and, and examine, you know, we don't, this is an area where we don't live like the world. We survive difficult and dry and busy seasons differently than the culture. Whereas the culture would say, you know, put anything on the back burner that is, you know, maybe just asking too much of you or yeah. something that you feel like you're too tired for or don't have time. You just move that to the back. You can get it later. You deserve to rest or relax or what have you. But Christians cannot flourish severed from Christ. We're not going to grow if we cut ourselves off from the vine, who is Jesus. And so in order to survive those seasons and continue growing, we have to remain attached to Christ. And so I would say while our spiritual disciplines might take a little bit different shape when you're rocking a baby all night or you know when you've got a, a job that's very demanding, we still have to somehow build our lives around the things that keep us attached to Christ. If we put off faithfulness until that season is over or we wait till we feel inspired to come back to some form of faithfulness, we may never come back because we don't know what season is right around the corner. Mm. And I mean, I don't, we don't want to waste those years wishing that we had been faithful um, when really persevering through those seasons puts us on the path to future faithfulness as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you, you kind of made some draws, drew out some points in the article, just that sometimes even the way that we seem to think about uh, these, uh, uh, these uh, expressions of faithfulness 
would seem to suggest a certain uh, misunderstanding of them, namely that you know in those seasons where it feels like life is out of control and we're in survival mode, I think is the phrase that you used. Um, why why is it that we don't view simple things like reading the Bible and prayer, intentional times for that? Those aren't viewed as the means for survival. Those are kind of viewed as as threats to our survival, which is why we can kind of put them aside for a time. Um, what does that say about the way we often then even think about this topic of faithfulness? I think that at the root of some of it is that I think the root is possibly unbelief. We don't necessarily stake a lot on that daily Bible reading or prayer or being with the people of God. Um, maybe we think there's something else that will help us survive. I think at the root of it is, I'm not sure that me carving out time in a busy day to read the Bible is going to have any long-term effect on my life. So I'm not going to do it. Like I don't see the value of it at this point. Um, And I think if we could sort of step back and see our life in terms of years rather than days, we would see that at it absolutely has an effect on our life, but it takes time and we are not really primed for patience when it comes to spiritual growth and faithfulness. We really want instant returns. And if we can't get instant returns, then we're just going to put it off till later. I mean, Mm, I think living in a culture of, you know, Amazon prime and DoorDash and things like that, where we can have (laughs) everything at our fingertips really quickly, uh, spiritual growth takes a long time and, that's not really something that we see the value of investing in, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not uncommon to hear people talk about the importance of, quote, giving yourself grace, especially when it comes to being consistent. And, and I guess, you know, one one maybe pushback could be to some of the things you've said is, yeah, but we need to make sure we're not turning this spiritual, this Christian life into this list of, of checkboxes and, and kind of a list of to-dos that if you just do those things, then you know, you're, you're, you're going to go closer to God, uh, by definition. So, so how do you think about that idea of, of giving yourself grace, allowing there to be, do some people need to hear that message? Yeah. I mean, I think there's some of us who are sort of natural born Pharisees. And so if we can reduce Christ following to a list of things that we do and that we can take credit for, and sort of divorce ourselves from the work of the Holy Spirit, then yes, I mean, heart posture really matters here. Why are we reading our Bible? Why are we praying? Why are we involved in the body of Christ? Um, if, if we're thinking, well, I'm going to do all of these things and sort of bootstrap my way through sanctification, then yes, we have a legalism problem here. Or if we're holding that over someone else who struggles in their spiritual disciplines um, and saying, well, I am a much more faithful Bible reader than she is, you know, the God must love me more that, you know, we have an area of sin and pride that we need to, we need to confess to the Lord and repent of. Um, and I think we need to remember, we don't read our Bibles, go to church and pray in order for God to love us. We do those things because we are loved. We are already loved and, and through Christ. We have right standing before God. We have his approval. We don't have to earn it through these things. I would argue though, that it is through these things that we are more certain of God's love and approval in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, while we have to check our motives and look at our hearts, I mean, I have a sort of legalistic bent. Uh, I was a little Pharisee growing up for sure. (laughs) Um, and yet, and I, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can't say, you know, just give yourself grace. You don't need to read your Bible. Don't need to read, you know, don't put that on yourself. 
that, I mean, that's too far. It's an overcorrection um, because again, these are God's ordained means of growth. And so in everything that God calls us to do, we have to consider what is our heart's motivation? Is it our glory or is it his? Are we leaning on the help that he provides or are we just checking a box, so to speak? Hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've talked about Uh, seasons of dryness that maybe stem from stress or the busyness of our lives. Maybe another cause of spiritual dryness that we can, we can experience is the result of some sin in our lives, some kind of persistent, difficult sin. You mentioned struggling against anger and and that kind of a thing. What would you say to the person who, if they were being honest about their own lives, they would have to say, yeah, I think there is uh, some sin in my life that is persistent. It's there and it is contributing to this dryness that I feel, I feel distant from God. And even though that person knows that God has forgiven her in Christ, it still feels like this weight and that it's keeping them away from God. What would you say to that person? Yeah, I would say that, you know, you sort of have to listen to that voice in your head. If the voice is speaking condemnation, you need to go to the scripture and remember that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the voice of the Lord is not condemning if you are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, he corrects and he disciplines. You know, Hebrews 12 is very clear on that. Uh, and if he brings an area of sin to light in your life and you feel like, like I did with anger, I feel a little crushed by it. I feel like I can't overcome it. I feel like it's following me everywhere I go. It's actually his kindness to you to bring that to light because he is going to help you put it to death. And I would say with areas of sin like that too, sometimes we call them besetting sins, just areas where we feel like we're going to struggle our whole Christian life with that area of sin. You need to put guardrails in place in your life. You need to talk to other Christians who will hold you accountable. It needs to be an object of prayer all of the time. Um, for me, memorizing scripture was has been very key in fighting that. Am I still fighting anger? Absolutely. It's probably going to be something I fight till the day I die. Um, however, the people in my life know about it and hold my feet to the fire. Mm. You know, the people I attend church with, my husband, my small group, um, have people who pray for me regularly. i scripture memorization is a way to deal with it and you know prayer of course myself but um i would say that as you if you broaden the circle of who knows about your sin who can i mean the body of christ is a gift here i mean we're we're not really meant to walk the christian life alone and when it comes to fighting sin i think that when we speak it out loud to other people sometimes it loses a little of its power over us because it's not a secret anymore mm. and um so broadening the circle applying these same gifts that god's given us of scripture and prayer in the church i mean I'm, again something i'm going to keep harping on because those are the things god has given us to fight sin and to maintain faithfulness and and just you know, know that you're not alone in this. The Holy Spirit is with you and the Lord provides a way out of temptation. And so as we seek to follow him faithfully over time, I do think we see our struggle, you know, get smaller. It's not immediate for sure for many of us, but um, over time, I think the Lord sands that out of our life. Mm. Yeah. You said that we're not meant to do the Christian life alone. And, and that's, that's a sentiment that we've all heard before. And we would all kind of agree, you know, we'd say, yeah, in theory, I, I believe that. But uh, yet when it comes to besetting sins or even the simple faithfulness that we're pursuing and maybe our struggles with our faithfulness, it does seem like it can be really hard 
to be honest with other Christians about that, about those struggles. Uh, why do you think that is for so many of us? I think it's fear. You know, if they really knew the struggle that I have, they would look at me differently, you know, or, I mean, I feel like that as a pastor's wife, gosh, if people really knew what some of my thoughts were, um, my, they would fire my husband <laughs> from, you know, from the pastorate immediately. Um, but I think that in that we are fearing man more than we fear God, um, because we're willing to keep a sin a secret instead of fighting against it as the Lord has called us to, to, um, to do. And I, I think if we were really honest and, and there was more transparency regarding sin, like with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we would all see that we're on very level playing field here. Mm. Um, my sin is just as ugly as yours and vice versa. And I mean, we all need God's grace. We all need his help to overcome it. We were all dead in our sin before the Lord saved us. And so um, I think we have to sort of get rid of this hierarchy in our head that some sins are worse than others. Um, you know, any sin that we've committed was paid for at the cross. And so um, there's not a hierarchy. And, and that can be hard. I mean, I think certain sins do carry different consequences or stigmas in our society or, you know, long-term repercussions for sure. But we have to sort of separate you know, guilt and shame from consequences when we mm. talk about sin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe as a last question, you you open your book with uh, an encouragement that the readers think like a farmer. Why do you say that, and why is that important to to highlight when it comes to this this discussion of faithfulness? Yeah, so that comes from James 5, where James has encouraged a group of suffering Christians. He's corrected their sin. He's encouraging them to hold fast. He's um, talked to them a lot about suffering and, and the joy that's found in perseverance. And when he gets to the end of his book, he tells them to be patient as they wait for the coming of the Lord and to see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. And then he says, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And I really like that picture because living in an agricultural area that I, I can see that very clearly. I do a lot of running and biking and in our town, anywhere you go, there's a fields real close by. <laughs> and so I can watch the metamorphosis of the fields from um, plowing to planting to irrigation to just waiting out the summer until the fall, depending on the crop, the time of year that they harvest, and then they harvest and then they burn the fields and then they let the fields rest and then they start the cycle over again. And so what the farmers do is they do a lot of work. They do a lot of investment in their plowing and planting and irrigation and pest control and things like that. Um, each season calls for a different type of work, but it also requires that they wait and trust that the harvest will produce some kind of fruit for them to um, to reap. And I think that's so true in the Christian life. So God has called us to be invested in our own sanctification. He says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, he gives us these means of grace to hold on to, to maintain faithfulness. But, you know, the other part of that verse is, for it is God who works in you. Um, it, it is him in you that's even willing to do the work of investment. So you have this both and God's calling us to obedience to work and be invested in our sanctification. 
but also we are wholly and completely dependent upon him to bring about the harvest. Just like the farmers, they do a lot of work, but they can't actually grow a plant from a seed. Only God can do that. He is the one that cultivates growth. So as we wait for the Lord to return, whether that's for him to come and take his church home or for us to die and see him face to face, whichever comes first, we can know that he is coming and we will be with him. We have a lot of living to traverse that's difficult. Our calling is to stand firm and to persevere, to do the work of investment in our sanctification, but to trust that God will bring about the harvest of growth and fruitfulness because he's faithful. I mean, our faithfulness hinges on his faithfulness, which is such a relief to know. Well, Glenna, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and encourage us to pursue that faithfulness uh, rooted in his faithfulness. Thank you for having me. That was Glenna Marshall on pursuing faithfulness in dry seasons. For more, be sure to check out her book with Crossway, Everyday Faithfulness, The Beauty of Ordinary Perseverance in a Demanding World, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.